Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thanks for that, Lee. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Caesar. I am the Young Adults Director here. Do we have any first-timers in the room? Raise your hand. That's awesome. That's cool. Just give me a round of applause for that. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're sharing in the feast with us t- tonight. Um, we love you. We, we, we love that you're here, and we would love to continue to get to know you. Just know that. And so uh, if you have any questions for us, you can come talk to me, any of the core team members, or any blue shirts. We'd love to answer any questions for you. Uh, but my name, again, is said Caesar, and uh, I have the privilege tonight of opening God's word for us and concluding our mini-series called Here Comes the Bride. It's just a two-part series that our core team created, and it wasn't about uh, dating. It's not about marriage. It's nothing about that. And if you weren't able to be here last week, you can go onto our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and put in Mosaic Young Adults, and you can find it there. And you can kind of catch up to see what we're up to. But this sermon series was created with a desire for us as young adults to understand what the relationship between the followers of Jesus and Christ's bride should look like. And so last week's sermon was solely focused on Ephesians chapter 5, and we were focused on Christ's love for his bride, the church, the body of Christ. And these are all used interchangeably within uh, those few verses that we talked about. And so while it's not the main text for tonight, I'd love for us to quickly just read those few verses. You don't have to go there yet. Stay in John. I'll read it for us. Um, And it will just remind us of where we are and where we're going for the rest of the evening. It'll be a jumping off point for us. This is what Ephesians chapter five says. This is the uh, word of God. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, uh, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So if there's anything that we can see here very clearly, it says Jesus loves his bride. Not only will he cleanse it, not only will he purify it, not only will he make us perfect, but he goes far beyond that. And it's in the beginning of the end of verse 25, Paul reveals that Christ loves the church so much that he would give himself up for it. And so Paul uses this imagery of bride and groom to again, describe Christ's relationship with the church, right? The groom is the church, no, that's not wrong. The groom is Jesus, and the church is the bride of Christ. And who is the bride? It is everyone in this room. It is those who proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. But here's the thing about being a bride and groom. When do you use the words bride and groom? Right before the wedding day, right? Like now, I always call Rachel my forever bride because that's just a cute name that I give her and among other cute names. But really, she is my wife and I am her husband. But that is not the words that Paul uses here. He calls again, the church is the bride and Christ is the groom. So it's meant to designate a very specific time. It's the moment prior to the actual marriage. So this means for us that we have to understand is that while yes, we are betrothed to Jesus as the bride of Christ, our marriage to him has not yet come. But his love for us 
is secured through his death and has secured his love for us. So that means we don't have to worry about whether or not he loves us more later or if he loves us a little bit less now. The love that he has deposited towards us today and before is the same that will be for tomorrow and for eternity. So the question isn't how much does Christ love the church, but is what are we to do in the waiting period? We're to love and care for Christ's church. But how? Well, this will not be a how-to sermon necessarily. We'll get to that towards the later half of the sermon. But tonight, I would love for us to continue to learn more and more about our groom, that is Jesus. Because no one knows how to love the bride more than the groom. I could confidently tell you there is not a single person that loves my wife more than me. I can, tell, I can confidently tell you that up to the day that we got married, no one knew Rachel the way I do and the way that I did. The hard times, the good times, her, what, what ticks her off, what makes her happy, those, th- those things were intimate between her and I because I had taken the time to know her because the groom cherishes his bride. He loves his bride. He knows everything there is to know about his bride and he wants the bride to do that onto him. So as Christ loves the church, he's inviting the bride, which is us, to get to know who he is in return because love exists within the space of intimacy between the bride and the groom. And if we don't use our time adequately and correctly to become well acquainted with our groom, we will eventually fail to love the the, the bride properly and the groom properly. So back to our text for tonight. We'll again be in John chapter 13, verses one through 15. And I love the gospel of John. We're actually, as a community, going through verse by verse uh, through the book of John. And and every time we kind of have a topical sermon, we somehow always come back to the gospel of John. But I truly believe that the gospel of John, more than the other three accounts, uh, captures the heart of Christ most beautifully and most clearly towards lost and broken sinners. So it is my favorite gospel of the four. And this passage tonight, I hope, will give us a vivid image of the kind of groom that Jesus is. Because I could have started, really, this sermon and ended the sermon with just telling you practical ways that we can care for the bride of Christ. But first, Jesus invites us to know him and to know his love for us. He wants us to know what kind of groom he is. But the more we know and experience his love for us, the more beautiful our reflection for his love onto others will look like. Disciples of Jesus are meant to love the bride of Christ, but he has to show us how to love first. So right here in verse one, we'll read it together. Now before the feast of Passover, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, Jesus in this chapter is starting what is called the farewell discourse. It's chapters John, uh, John chapter 13 to 17, where he begins to prepare his disciples for his departure because he is about to die and go on the cross at Calvary. So he knows, as he says in verse one, that his time to leave this earth was about to happen, that his earthly ministry was about to come to an end, but he did not want to leave his disciples unaware of how to carry on when his physical presence wouldn't be around them. But I love the way that verse one ends. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
This captures the discourse and the heart of his message and the heart of his ministry. He wants us to know and remind us of how much he loves his people. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end, meaning that the heart of love is that he would go so far to prove it that he would die to show his love for his bride and for his people. This is a love that knows no bounds. It is one that is it a type of love that when it is directed towards you, you are finally able to experience the love and freedom that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And while this passage, chapter 13, is so beautiful and has so much transformative truth found within the folds of its words, uh, tonight we're going to have to only uh, look at a couple of different details. We just don't have the time to cover the rest of the fullness of the chapter tonight. So I'd love to draw our attention quickly here to verse 3. Verse 3 says, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come back from, they had come from God and was going back to God. See, what we learn here is that Jesus has a special relationship with God the father, that the father had given Jesus power and status and had given him authority. But what we ultimately see here is that God the son truly knew the will of God the father. And it's important for us to know that, that our groom knows the will of the Father because whatever Christ asks of us is in accordance with the will of the Father, which means it is for our best, it is for our good. And when we as a community walk in the will of the Father, we not only walk in love, but we walk in power and authority. But the power to do what? You see, Jesus' power could have been used for many things. He could have destroyed Satan and his evil schemes by the snapping of his fingers. He could have dealt cosmic justice towards Judas as we read in verse two that Judas is about to betray Jesus and turn him over to the Jewish authorities. But what do we see Jesus doing? Let's read verses four and five. Given this mission and power, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this power that he's been given is for what? It's to serve. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we're so obsessed with authority and status in this world so that others would look onto us and think so highly of us. And yet Jesus, given all authority of the entire universe, does not use it to lord over you, but to serve. And what Jesus had done in this context, in this social context, he couldn't have done anything worse as a rabbi. Because the rabbi doesn't go to his disciples and rub their feet and clean them. It is always the opposite. Disciples come and say, Jesus, can I wash your feet? Rabbi, can I clean you? Rabbi, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get food? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do this? And yet he comes and creates this opportunity of servitude onto his disciples. Because in his world, the mighty and powerful don't serve the lowly. But in the world of Jesus, he flips that on his head. But it isn't just to demonstrate, like for you to be like, well, Jesus is a nice guy. Look how humble he is. Like he's a really cool dude. No, it's something far more beautiful occurring here. Because what Jesus is saying to us and to the readers 
is that he is not afraid to get into the messy work of cleaning. Serving is not beneath our Lord and Savior. He does not look at your mess and your messiness and say, that is too gross for me to touch. Let me call in the other guy to come in. Hey, Holy Spirit, can you come in? It's too much for me. Father, are you seriously gonna ask me to clean up this mess? No. He takes it upon himself to go get on his knees and clean. What a wondrous image of Jesus, is it not? But in that same way that he purposefully and powerfully washed the feet of his disciples, he seeks to clean up the brokenness that is in between you and myself. The darkness that's inside the brokenness that exists here. And this is our groom, family. This is our groom, the groom that there's nothing too dark or muddy or untouchable for him to come into. And he doesn't put on disinfectant spray. He doesn't put on those, those little gloves and those latex gloves, but with his own bare hands, he comes and directly touches the feet of his disciples as if to say, with my own hands, I will too touch the messiness of your life and I will clean it and heal it with my holy power. Just for a moment, just for a moment, I'm gonna invite you into something that could be both really terribly, terribly terrible, but also wonderfully wonderful. I'm just gonna ask you for a moment to think about your own mess. Think about your own brokenness for a moment. That's in your life, that's in your heart, and the very inner beings of your soul. The things that you wish no one would ever find out about. You know, the thoughts that keep you up at night, the beliefs that if it were exposed would cause you to cradle into a ball, hoping that no one can see it. Just think about what that is. None of that can be cleansed and cared for by simple feet washing. No amount of baths will remove the stains of your pain and suffering. Those are soul deep. But Jesus loves his people so much and wants to clean and heal their wounds, but he doesn't do it from the outside in. He does it from the inside out. Because you know what, listen, it would be kind for Jesus to come and heal our external wounds, the the dirt on our face and and sewing and stitching the cuts and, and wounds that we have. But those external wounds, those aren't the things that haunt your soul, is it? I don't know what it is, but you do. And so does Jesus. But he loves us so much that he will do the work to masterfully and powerfully begin to remove the roots of our brokenness. The lies that you tell yourself, the beliefs that you tell yourself, the lie that you have to let others walk all over you, otherwise they'll just leave you. The hurt that your parents may have inflicted on you by telling you you're only as valuable as the amount of money your job gives you the shame you may carry because of your experience with premarital sex and feeling used because the person left you when it just didn't feel good anymore. But do you know this Jesus who responds? You see, when I love, I grew up in New York and there's in Manhattan this cathedral called St. Patrick's Cathedral and this beautiful image of Christ on its stained glass windows. But this image of Jesus on these glass stained windows and often in medieval pictures is this picture of Jesus as this radiant, ethereal, glowing Jesus, a pristine and untouchable Jesus. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is holy. He doesn't play games with sin. 
And yes, he is powerful and he is glorious and he is worthy of our praise, honor, and glory, but he is not the Jesus in that picture. He is not distant and he is not untouchable. He is invitational. Because as he washes the feet of his disciples, I would imagine that he sees all the scars and every bruise and every birthmark and every hangnail and every inch of that foot as if to say to us, I see everything there is to you. And I'm telling you, let me clean this up. His invitation is not even to the cleaning. It's for him to say, let, will you see me as I truly am? as the perfect groom who is willing to enter into the dirt of your life so I can clean and heal you. But you know what blows my mind away of this entire passage? More than anything else, who are the two disciples that John mentions in this passage? He could have had 12 options, and self, himself included, and John has no problem doing that. There's plenty of times John puts himself in nice light in the book of John. But who does he put? Peter and Judas. The two disciples that I would argue that would end up breaking the heart of Jesus unlike anyone else. Peter, one of the close three of Jesus, would deny Jesus three times and would be nowhere to be found as Jesus carries the cross onto Calvary, bruised, beaten, and alone. Judas, the one who would be close and love Jesus or would tried to love Jesus and yet would turn him in for just a few pieces of silver. And yet Jesus cleans their feet too. This is a kind of love that I don't think you and I have any idea about. It is not one that I've ever been able to show and it's not anyone that I've been able to receive by any human. Because this kind of love has no bounds and knows no ends. And tonight you might be sitting here believing that your sins keep you away from Jesus' dinner table, that he no longer wants to be with you, that there is just too much sin for him to clean up, too much rebellion to forgive, too much, too much, too much. And what Jesus is saying is that he would get up from his table, his dinner table, he would come to you, and before you even know what's happening, he has his garment off, his towel next to him, his, the, the basin full of water, ready to clean your feet before you can even say no. Because he is not afraid of your sin. He is not terrified of it because he's the only one he knows that can remove it from your entire life. You see, while cleaning the feet of the disciples is partly what Jesus is doing, he's saying there's another kind of cleaning that he has to do because what gives strength to the roots of our brokenness is the soil of sin. And the power that Jesus was given from the Father is powerful enough to also remove the foundation of sin in our hearts that have embedded and infected our very souls. But the only way for Jesus to do that was through his love. Because love is not a mere feeling. I'm sorry if that's what you've walked into thinking. And I'm truly sorry if that's what people have convinced you of. Because that's not love. That's butterflies, and that's me on a good day. But love truly is a great act of compassion. In fact, it is the greatest act of compassion because love is compassion in movement where the lover desires the best for their beloved ones, even to the point of death. 
Jesus says so much as he says in 15, chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now the disciples don't know what's about to happen to Jesus. He has, they actually have no idea what he's talking about for a moment. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he would have to, what he would have to do to conquer and remove the sins of his people and to secure that he and his bride would be together forever. He loves his bride. He loves you to the end. And we'll know that as you read the rest of the gospels, you'll see Christ bearing our sins, my sins, your sins, the sins of his people fully on his shoulders, pierced on the cross of Calvary for my transgressions, for your transgressions. And yet our groom looks to us and says, this is how much I love you to the very end because my love for you knows no bounds and knows no end. And then he ends this passage, this moment, verses 13 to 15, he says to them, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am your teacher and Lord. And I, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. So he looks at them and says, this is how much I love my people and now I want you to go do the same. And he's not saying go clean people's feet because that's weird. That's not what he's asking, especially in this context. And don't touch my feet unless the Lord tells you to. But that's <laughs> highly unlikely. But it's more beautifully seen in verse 34, more clearly seen. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. He's not saying that we have to clean each other's feet, but that the heart and the center and the posture of cleaning feet is love and that love should rule our life because Christ rules over our life with love and with that love, we can best care for the bride of Christ. Now I wanna tell you a story as we continue on. It's a story that not many people know and not one that I often share. It's actually the story of my conversion. <sighs> and so I have grown up in the church. I had served on the worship team for many years. Um, but I did not know Christ, at least not as he has desired for me to know him. And uh, I stayed in New York for college and I played college soccer. And we went to a tournament uh, upstate and I was a rookie and I was one of, the, one of the only rookies to start and I actually managed to, to score the game winning goal. That's not important. But the reason why it's important <laughs> is because they wanted to take me out drinking that night in celebration. Um, and so what I didn't know was as we got back into the locker room, took a shower and got ready is that they had brought a bottle of vodka. And because some of the other rookies were jealous, they made us have this drinking push-up competition and it was terrible. I don't like vodka and I still don't. And I remember being drunk before even getting to the bar. And I definitely didn't know that you're not supposed to mix alcohol. So as they gave me beer, it got even worse. And I was like, man, I got to get out of here. But I didn't know where inside and outside were. I didn't know where left and right was. I was like, I just got to find a room. And I finally stumble 
into the bathroom. And I hold on to the, um, the sink because, not because I was vomiting, but because I figured that if I kept splashing my face with water, I would get a little less drunk. Um, that didn't work. That doesn't work if you didn't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I <laughs> look in the mirror drunk and unaware of who I was in that moment. And I looked into the mirror and I was like, who is this person that I'm looking at right now? And then somehow I got home that night and then I led worship hungover the next day. What happens later, a few weeks later, is that I actually run into one of my now best friends in the meet. And uh, he was a leader in this campus ministry called InterVarsity. And we had just run into each other because we were both in the same philosophy class and we were just dropping off a paper um, from that fall semester, whatnot, we were just dropping our final paper. And I just remember like seeing his tattoo and being like, oh, that's Hebrew, like that's cool. And then him and I just became friends and I told him everything. I told him my brokenness. I told him about that night. I told him about my struggles. I told him about my worst fears. I told him everything that I wish that no one would know. And he loved me. He loved me. He did not push me. He did not shame me. He did not send me off packing. And some of you may know what that feels like. Some of you might be in this room because of people like that. And praise God for them. I would, if I were you, I'd send them a text message and thank them tonight. And I tell you this story not to think that I'm more vulnerable or holy than any of you. It's because we get to do that for each other today. Because the meat displayed the love of Christ to me. Christ demonstrated his love for sinners that he would die for them. And he shows it to us in this chapter and he shows it to us time and time again and now he's asking us as the bride of Christ to do that for one another. So what does it mean to love one another though as Christ loved us? Because I'm gonna be honest with you, that seems really difficult. Because I'm sure there are people in this room who I have royally ticked off. And yet, Christ says, you gotta love me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I gotta love you too. And you look at this world around us and the churches around us and just the way the church is and you, you might feel so dis depressed and, and, and like just be like, how in the world am I supposed to love in a world like this? And so tonight, for the rest of our time together, I, I would hope to present to you a couple of ways that I see Jesus inviting and asking us how we can love the bride of Christ, knowing how much he loves us. And just to reiterate back to the beginning a little bit, the first thing that we have to do as a people of God, as a community of believers, as mosaic young adults, is that we must know the love of our groom for us. Because our sin and brokenness 
have been covered by the blood of Christ. And thank God for that. Because in reality, there is no way for me to love another person when I have the lens of sin over my eyes. Because at the heart of it, our sin does not want to be exposed, but love always exposes because it is geared and guided by truth. And Christ now has given us eyes to see, not through the lens of our sin, but through the lens of forgiveness and love that we securely have through him and him alone. So we have to know the love of our groom. We have to know our groom to love one another. But our groom is not calling us to love one another in passing. Yes, demonstrate love to everyone that you, that you meet and that you come around. Please, go ahead and do so. But the location that the New Testament often talks about where we demonstrate Christ's love is not outside, but it is inside the bounds of the local church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that the bride of Christ is to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, as you see the day drawing near. That is what we do when we come here. We stir one another up to love and good works and draw near to one another, encouraging one another. But the problem is, is that all too often, I think what happens is that as, as Christians, we, we simply see going to church as attendance, but rarely as belonging. Because attendance, you just check off your list. Okay, I, just, I, I attended church this Sunday. I did my thing. I attended this group on Monday. I did my thing. But attendance requires really nothing but you just putting your butt on a chair and then leaving but belonging, that's family. That's familial language. You don't attend a family. You belong to one. I don't attend the bride of Christ. I belong to it. We don't attend the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so we belong. But to belong requires love and commitment. Because just because... Christ and his spirit dwells in his people and in the church and is present in guiding us and loving us and serving us and all those things that are wonderful does not mean that our family gatherings are always perfect. The church is messy. I'm surprised more people didn't say amen. But the church is messy. Thank you. Because none of us have graduated from the school of God's mercy and grace. None of us have arrived and none of us are perfect. Yes, we've been redeemed, but Christ is actively working in us to undo the desires of our flesh and the work of sin. And he does this as we wash one, each, one, uh, one another's feet. But that's hard. But just because it's difficult does not mean that we don't need it. Because we need commitment from one another. Because it is only in commitment that we are able to feel safe within the confines of the local church. We feel safe when our family is bound together by the blood of Christ and by the gospel and by his spirit. And it is only there where security and stability occurs, where I can confess, confess my sins as I did to you tonight, where I told you about the sins of my drunken story. And yet I depend on all of you to stand by me in grace as we stand with each other giving grace. 
Because if you look at scripture, you'll notice there are 50 to 60 one another's in the Bible. Love one another, forgive one another, welcome one another, be kind to one another. One of my favorites is in Galatians chapter six, verse two, bear one another's burdens. But to bear or to do any of those one another's requires two people. It requires another It's a two-way street. You bear my burden as I bear your burden. I love you as you love me. You pray for me as I pray for you. When you fall, I come carry you. When I fall, you come carry me. But in order to do that, we have to live in this connected inner web of relationship that only happens when we're willing to be with one another. But if we're not part of a local church week after week, how is there security in our relationships? Because our culture prides itself fully on giving us options galore, multitude of options and choices where we're able to cherry pick as we please as our day goes on. But when we do those things with the church, when we cherry pick different ministries from different churches, this, I go to this church for this worship session and I'll go to this church for the preaching and I go to this church for the small groups and I go to this church for a young adult ministry, we make relationships a one-way street and it's only pointed at you. And while this may be heavy-handed, I need to say this, and I need to say to myself, when I do this, when we do this, we cheat and dishonor one another because we need one another. So let me say this. If you are here and you call Mosaic home, the people of Mosaic, not just here, the whole congregation of Mosaic needs you. If you go to real life, The people at your church need you there. If you go to LifeBridge, your people need you there. If you go to First Baptist Orlando, Windermere, Winter Garden, if you go to the Grove, if you go to Horizon West, whatever church you want to put in there, if you go there, they need you. They need you there because we need each other way more than you need a killer worship team. You need one another more than you need a cool young adult ministry. You need each other more than the podcast of your favorite preacher. You need one another because you and I both need real, tangible love from one another to help us carry one another in this journey that we call life. Because this is what people are craving, everyone. Isn't that what you're craving? You can come here and say, I'm lost and I'm broken. But if there's not a one another there to tell you about the love of Christ, then you're just gonna leave just as you came in. But genuine and safe community founded on the love of Christ, people committed to seeking Christ together, especially when it's messy, that's what people need. And this is what our young adult ministry has a chance to be. And what you can do at your church whatever church you may call home, that's okay. I'm not here to say pick mosaic. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying here, get out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you're here, but God has planted you somewhere else, you're dishonoring your people because they need your love. They need you so desperately. I'll finish with this story and then we'll pray. This past weekend, uh, past Monday, my wife and I, Rachel, went to um, Disney. And so Rachel works at Disney, so we got to go in and we're gonna go see the fireworks. Um, it's the happily ever after. Uh, Disney is, Rachel loves Disney. I am an aspiring lover of Disney. Um, 
And so we make a plan to go there. It's been in our, on our calendar for a while. And we drive and we get, through the, we, go, we get through the parking. We go through, walk through the parking lot. We get through the tram. I'm getting to walk you through the whole time. And so we get, we get out of the tram and then suddenly, because this whole time we're like, those clouds over there look a little sus. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then we get out of the tram. We get to the entrance. Rachel's pulling out her car to get us in. And then it starts pouring. And I'm like, it's early enough for us to go back home. It's fine. Like, why don't we, like, let's just go back on the tram. Let's go home. But I was like, no, no, no. I promised Rachel I would try to, I would, I would try this. I'm, a, I'm an aspiring lover of Disney. I got to give this a shot. And so I was like, Rachel, come on. Let's, let's just get wet. Let's fine. We'll go in. We'll go in and we, we get these ponchos that cost way more money than they're worth. And then it stops raining. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we didn't really need these. And then we go get food. And as we're at the food location, whatever it's called, cafeteria, <laughs> The place that, you know, I'm sure there's like a special name for it that Disney, because Disney has a special name for everything, right? Like, it's not just the entrance. It's like the holy heaven. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not trying to like offend any Disney goers here or Disney cast members. Please don't hear that. I'm just trying to catch up. But there's this one question that the, that, um, the person taking our order asks Rachel that really stuck with me. She looks at Rachel and says, so where do you make magic? Jacob, wow, ew. Didn't you work for Disney? I guess even at Disney, people don't like Disney. That's okay, that's interesting. Are you an aspiring too? That's fine, whatever. But despite Jacob's ew, I was really interested and caught like off guard by the question because she wasn't really asking, hey, where do you work? The question was based on the foundation that if you're part of Disney, you make magic. That if you're part of the happiest place on earth, where are you making people the most happy? There's this assumption that if you're part of Disney, this is your role. Wherever you go, you bring the joy with you. Wherever you go, you bring the magic. Wherever you go, you bring a little bit of pixie dust to pour onto people so that they can smile because everyone needs a little bit more happiness. And I'm not really ranking on Disney. And as I finally, after many delays because of the thunder and lightning, I see the magic show, the magic show, the, the fireworks, <laughs> the happily ever after, this, this moment of conquering and achieving your dreams. And I was smiling. And I kept looking at Rachel, I was like, is it it's not over yet, right? There's like another one? Like there's another part to this? And she's like, yes, Caesar, you'll, you'll know when it's over. <laughs> and then it ends. And then it ends. Because that magic is never meant to last. Sorry to break it to you. The doors will close. People gotta go home. And then they'll start the next day, but it ends. And while Disney may be the happiest place on earth, it also ends. But the love of Christ never does. And I don't want to ask you tonight, where do you make magic? Because that's ill, apparently, <laughs> to Jacob. <laughs> but as I look at the life of Christ, and I'm reminded of his crucifixion sacrifice on our behalf. When I think about Nami and his love for me as Christ has loved him, 
when I look at what this church can be, when I look at you all, I'm reminded of Christ's love. And so my question to you is, where will you show the love of Christ today? Where will you go? Is it here at Mosaic? Is it at LifeBridge? Whatever church it may be, whatever job you may have, where is it that God is calling you to display the grandeur of his love, of a magic and power and glory that will never end? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that you are the God who serves that you see our mess and you clean it, that you are not too afraid to step into the darkest parts of our stories, that you were there in the beginning, you're here today and you'll be there tomorrow to help us with our mess today and to help us with our mess tomorrow, that you have conquered victoriously over sin and that you invite us to do this for others. God, I pray for this ministry and I pray for the hearts of every single one of us here. That while we've been tempted to think that we are, have no space at your table, you've invited us and made a place for us to feast alongside with you. May we invite one another into that feast. May we invite others in this world who need to hear of this gospel, of this love, of this power. But may we always remember that servitude is not beneath you and therefore is not beneath us. We're not serving so that we may have glory and for us to think we're great, but we serve one another because our lives depend on it. Because you've designed your church, your bride, in such a way where we don't get to walk in this earth alone and expect to make it. That we depend on one another as we collectively depend and lean on you. May that be the prayer of our hearts tonight, Lord Jesus. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.